Next will allow us to provide the necessary resources to relocate, expand, and improve our church home. It's been clear for months now that we've maxed out our space in our current facility. A new church home means greater opportunities to pursue those far from God in our community with the hope and love of Jesus Christ. Next is an investment in our future and in our friends. By relocating our church home and upgrading our facilities, we can increase our local ministry and invest in the lives of more people who need the hope and new life that only Jesus can offer them. It's time now for the people of Cross Point to step up. God has given us the incredible opportunity and privilege to participate in His kingdom work here in Northwest Atlanta, to see lives changed in ways that can only be explained by Him. But with that incredible privilege comes great responsibility. We are being asked now to respond to God's faithfulness and generosity by providing an unprecedented amount of resources so that our church can step into what God has for us next. Hey, my name's Christy. Uh, my name's Travis. Uh, we came to Cross Point in 2014. I just actually graduated from grad school in Savannah. Uh, we had a really good church we, that we went to in Savannah that we really, really just didn't enjoy. Um, so we were kind of a little anxious trying to find a church in Cartersville. Um, we actually looked online, found Cross Point. Uh, I was able to look, look and find out what their beliefs were. And um, the next Sunday we showed up, and um, we've been going ever since. We've actually been really lucky to get involved at Cross Point over the past year and a half. We've been able to join a small group and a discipleship group um, where we've made a lot of good friends, a lot of good relationships, and be able to study the Bible even further. Uh, my favorite thing is just actually being able to meet on Sundays, hear Pastor James preach the gospel, uh, just kind of gets them to take home and to learn how to study the Bible better, to um, just learn how to share the gospel more. Yeah, we've also been involved in some serving roles at the church. and yeah. We serve at the Five, and that's kind of opened us up to serving in other aspects and events at the church. And it's just really helped solidify like our walk with Christ with us and just helped us to grow even more um, and just finding out ways that we can serve others in our community help out. We're excited for the next initiative because we're excited to see um, how our church can grow through it. We know that Pastor James has said that we're currently growing at 80% capacity and at 80% capacity church statistics say that your church stops growing and we want Cross Point to continue growing and to continue reaching people as it's reached us and we know that the number on the wall it says 260,000 um, and that's people in our community that aren't, you know, in, connected with the church or have a relationship with Jesus. And we know that we can't reach 260,000 in our current facility. So we really need the next initiative in order to share the love and joy that a relationship with Jesus Christ can provide with the 260,000 people in our current community. And that's the most important thing we can do is just um, give the people of this community a chance to hear the gospel and to make a decision for themselves about Christ. Um, we've actually been thinking about our about the next initiative about our giving. Um, I actually received a bonus from work not too long ago, and I think we'll be able to hopefully give a good proportion of that as a first gift, as well as increasing our giving over the next three years. Uh, we're really excited about the next initiative and ready to start seeing the church grow. We're really excited to see what God has in store for Cross Point in the future. Awesome. Hey, listen, uh, I'll go ahead and just let you know right out of the gate that at the end of this message, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to turn in your next gifts, your next commitments. Uh, after I preach, 
uh, we're going to ask you to stand and to come forward and to place your gifts and your commitments on the stage. Uh, It's going to get a little messy. There are a lot of people in this room, and we're all packed in and tight, so we'll need to be patient with one another. But again, at the end of the message, we're going to invite you and give the opportunity to stand, to come forward, and to turn in your gifts and commitments, all right? But before we get there, got a message to preach. So let's get our Bibles, if we have them. If you have a device with some kind of app on, uh, on it, go ahead and get that out. Go to Nehemiah chapter 9 with me. Nehemiah chapter 9. Well, today we are closing out this series that we've been in for the last few weeks on the story of Nehemiah, a man who was born into slavery. 150 years before we pick up in his story, uh, we know that the Babylonians defeated his nation, the nation of Judah, and they did so in a ruthless manner. They tore down the majestic temple in the city that Solomon had built. They tore down the walls that surrounded the city. And they also forced many of the people living in Jerusalem uh, at that time into captivity in Babylon. Well, fast forward 47 years, and the Persians defeat the Babylonians and emerge as the new world leaders. Now, we don't really know why, but for some reason, the Persians decided to be nice, kind, compassionate. Uh, We'll get that fixed. Don't worry about it. Nice, kind, compassionate to some of the Jewish people living in slavery, and they actually allowed some of them to go back to their homeland, to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, But as we've been learning, Nehemiah, he wasn't one of the lucky ones. He was stuck living as a slave to the king. Well, he finds out one day from one of his brothers that things in Jerusalem, they're not going so well. The walls are still broken down. The people are suffering. They're in trouble. And when he gets that news, when he gets that news, it devastates him to the point that he goes before God in prayer and in fasting. And as he's praying and fasting, God gives this slave a vision to change his world. He goes back to the king, the most powerful man in the entire world at this time, and he asks for some things. He says, king, I need you to give me a leave of absence from my job. I need you to make me the governor of Judah so that I have the authority I need to accomplish this project. Uh, King, I need access to your forests so that I can collect all the lumber I'm going to need to rebuild the wall. The king agrees, and Nehemiah is off. He travels over a 1,000 miles back to his homeland. And when he gets there, he pulls all the people together. He casts the vision. He assures them and tells them of God's faithfulness, and then they get to work. But as we learned last week, after getting to work... Opposition comes. Opposition comes. The Jews, they had enemies. And these enemies did not want them to be successful. They knew that if they were successful in rebuilding the walls, that they would actually become a powerful force in that part of the world again. But despite opposition, here's what's incredible. The people rebuild the walls in 52 days. Think about that. This was a massive undertaking. And a slave who probably never considered himself to be a leader, led the way. I said a few weeks ago that I'm convinced Nehemiah's story should greatly encourage some of us in the room. Because isn't it true that some of us in the room today, we would never consider ourselves to be leaders? Some of us are still busy making excuses for why God could never use a person like us, right? But I want you to know, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you're a leader, like it or not. You see, all it means to lead is to use the influence... We're going to figure that out. Sorry. Hopefully. We'll see. All it means to lead is to use the influence you've been given to impact your world. And and so with that in mind, let me ask you the million-dollar question. 
Are you impacting your world? Are you using the influence that you've been given to make a difference? Have you been honest yet about what is? About the current reality in your spiritual life, your your marriage, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, your community, this church. Today's a good picture of what is for us, right? Have you started asking the question yet? Well, what should be? Well, what's God's ideal? What would God want to be true in my marriage, my spiritual life, my school, my neighborhood, my workplace, this church? Have you taken any responsibility yet for the things God's shown you? Or are you still waiting around for somebody else to do something about the problems you know exist? Look, you have to understand that you are where you are for a reason. You may not see yourself as a difference maker, but that's the way God sees you. And that's why you're in that neighborhood. That's why you're in that school, that workplace, the family you're a part of. It's why you've been put in this church. You're there to make a difference. And finally, are your sights set on the greatness of God? Like, are you living each day with an awareness that our God specializes in accomplishing impossible and improbable things, most oftentimes through ordinary, average, underwhelming people, and has that awareness given you a God-sized vision for your life? Or are you that person busy telling God why he can't use you because you're so focused on all your, abil- all your inabilities and weaknesses. Look, these are important questions that need answers, especially, especially as we think about leadership over the long haul. Look, if you want God to use you to impact your world, uh, not just for a moment, not just for a season, but over a lifetime. That requires you to constantly go back to what is, what should be your responsibility and the greatness of God. This is what Nehemiah did. You see, he didn't run a 52-day sprint and then hang his cleats up. He ran a marathon. He continued to impact his nation throughout the course of his life. I think one of the dangers of the culture that we live in today is the quick fix mentality that's constantly fed to us. Right, aren't we used to having what we want, when we want it, how we want it? And oftentimes that causes us to believe that that this is how influence works. Well, I can change my world if I'll just do the right thing a time or two. This is why I'll have married couples coming to me at times and they'll unload all their marriage problems. Problems, mind you, that have taken years and years to accumulate. And what they want to know is this. Well, James, how can we fix it by next week? You can't. It's going to take longer, Right? This is why some of us were frustrated about our workplace. We've been there for two years now. Everybody in the office knows we love Jesus. Nothing's changed yet. What gives? It's why some of us in the room who are parents were frustrated because we have to keep telling those little sinful people that live in our house, they're called our kids, the same things over and over because they keep doing the same defiant stuff. Right? My wife and I, Amber, we had this conversation just this past week. I was out of town for a few days. And so she was sending me updates, letting me know how bad our four-year-old daughter Rowan was being. (laughs) One day she scratched her baby sister, made her cry. Uh, Another day she kicked the dog, just kicked the dog. No apparent reason, kicked the dog. And so my wife, she sat Rowan down and she had this conversation with her. Baby, listen, uh, Jesus, he wants us to love people and even animals. Uh, He wants us to be kind. God made us to be like him. And then they prayed together and they asked God to help my daughter be more loving and more kind. And so I sent my wife a text. I encouraged her. Hey, babe, that sounds awesome. You did the right thing. That was the right conversation. And then after I sent the text, I thought to myself, I wonder how many more times we'll get to have that same conversation with that little girl. (laughs) 
See, you know, like I know, if you're a parent, kids never get it the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time and so on, right? You gotta keep saying the same stuff over and over and over and over again. And more importantly, you have to live out what you're teaching, right? And you pray over time that as you speak into your kid's life, and you live out what it is you're saying so that they have a picture of what it looks like. You pray that over time, your life and your words will start to influence and impact their lives. Listen, the same is true across the board. It does not matter who or what you're trying to influence. Making a difference does not happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a day, in a year, or even a few years. Too often, we overestimate what's possible in a short amount of time And we completely underestimate what's possible over a long period of time if we'll just remain obedient. But that's what long-haul leadership is about. It's about obedience over a lifetime. I don't know about you, but that's a story I want. Like when I'm an old man on my deathbed, I want people who knew me best to still respect me most. To say about me that I was a man committed to God's vision for every area of my life throughout my life. I think a lot of you in the room, you want the same thing. So the question is, how in the world do we get there? And what does long-haul leadership look like? Well, Nehemiah shows us. If you're taking notes, here's some stuff to write down. First, Nehemiah shows us that long-haul leadership is deep. Here's the idea. Nehemiah went to Jerusalem to build a wall, a wall that needed to be rebuilt to protect the city and its people from their enemies. But at the same time, Nehemiah understood that it was about more than just a wall. You see, Israel had a bigger problem. They had completely forgotten about who God called them to be and what he called them to do in the world. Centuries earlier, God made a promise to the father of the Jewish people. His name was Abraham. And he said to Abraham, "Uh, this people that are going to descend from you, I'm going to bless them and I'm going to use them to bless all the nations of the world if they'll walk in obedience to me. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? But as the story goes, the people, they decide, well, we don't want to walk in obedience to God. We would rather do life our way. And as a result of their sin and their pride, they suffered defeat And that prevented them from being the blessing that God desired them to be. But it not only prevented them from being that blessing, it also brought reproach upon the very name of God. And every time they looked out at that broken down wall, it was just a reminder. It was a reminder. We've left them behind. We've done life far away. Everything that God had for us, we've abandoned it. But as that wall started to be rebuilt, it was a symbol of God restoring his people. And I love it. In Nehemiah chapter 9, he calls together the people of the city and he dedicates the wall to bring awareness to that reality. Read verses 1 through 3 with me. Check it out. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law uh, of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of the day, they made confession and they worshiped the Lord their God. So for half a day, picture this, half a day, they're doing what we're doing. They're reading the scriptures, they're worshiping God, they're confessing their sins. 
And over the course of those 12 hours, these people were slowly but surely making their way back to God. And at the same time, they were becoming aware that God is graciously and undeservingly pouring out his blessing on us, his people, once again. Look, look, it was about more than a wall. It was so much deeper than a construction project. It was about what the wall meant in regards, not only to their past and their present, but to their future. Look, I told you just a few minutes ago that at the end of this message, uh, we're gonna give you the opportunity to get out of your seats, to come forward, and to lay your gifts, your financial gifts, and your three-year giving commitments above and beyond your regular giving on this platform, on this stage, so that you can say yes to God and what's next for our church. And we've been telling you for weeks now that the plan is to use those gifts and those commitments to purchase a new facility for our church family. But please hear me, I said this last week, it's about more than a building. Are you with me? It goes so much deeper than a construction project. This is about the mission God's called us to. We're here today to invest and to commit to relentlessly pursuing those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus. This is about us making room, as Christy said on video, for those 260,000 unchurched people in our community who desperately need to find their way back to God. And just as that wall was a, just as that wall in Jerusalem was a symbol, like I'm praying that you'd come and, and you'd lay down your envelope today on this stage as a symbol of your commitment to that vision and that mission. I'm praying that you'd come and you'd lay it down and you say, God, I am recommitting myself to sharing Jesus with people that I know need him. God, I'm recommitting myself today uh, to using my influence in my neighborhood, my workplace, my school, my community in order to help people find their way back to you. I pray that some of us would come and, and we'd say, God, I recommit myself to serving somewhere so that when I show up week after week, I remember that all this is not about me. I recommit myself to, to getting in a group with other believers in this church so that I can grow in my faith and help people outside these walls who are struggling and need help. God, I recommit my marriage to you today so that our relationship as husband and wife can be a picture of the gospel to our community. God, I commit my family to you today. I don't want my faith to die with me. I want it to be passed on from generation to generation to generation. Let me just say it again. Church, this is about more than a building. It goes so much deeper than a construction project. This is about the lives of people, real people being radically changed by Jesus because of the people in this room committing to God's mission and vision for us as Cross Point City Church. Long haul leaders, long haul leaders, don't miss it, always look past the surface to the deeper vision. The second thing Nehemiah shows us is this, that long haul leadership is wide. If you remember two weeks ago, uh, we talked about what happened after Nehemiah got to the city. What did he do? He, he went on a recruiting rampage. Like he pulled in all different kinds of individuals, different groups of people to be a part of this work. It wasn't just Nehemiah and God alone. For example, the priests, they actually worked on what was called the sheep gate. This is where the sacrifices would come into the city. The merchants, they worked on uh, the retail gate, the fish gate. This is where the produce and the retail would come into the city. There was even a group that worked on the dung gate. You know what dung is, right? If you don't, see me after this gathering and we'll talk. This is the gate through which human waste was removed from the city so that it would stay sanitary. 
It's amazing. Everybody did their part. There were families who lived by certain parts of the wall that decided we're going to tackle that part and we're going to rebuild it. They had a vested interest in safety and security in their own backyard. Everybody did their part. And because everybody did their part, the wall was done in 52 days. Isn't it amazing what can be accomplished when everybody does their part? Here's the good news for us today. When it comes to what God is doing in our world, Every single one of us sitting in the seats this morning has a part to play. Kids in the room, you're an elementary age kid, look, I want to encourage you this morning. You have a part to play in what God's doing in your school, in this church, in this community. It's not just mom and dad. It's all of us. We all have a part to play. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, the apostle, he he compares the church to a body. Just as a human body is uniquely designed with different parts for different purposes, Paul says that God has designed his church with different parts for different purposes. Our parts may look different, but each part is critical. As I've thought about that truth over the last several weeks leading up to today, uh, man, I'll tell you, I've been just praying that God, as I said earlier, would move on the hearts of every person who makes up this church and inspire us to do our part At times, I've thought about our goal, $1.3 million. And I'll be honest, I've wondered at times, have we bitten off more than we can chew? And as I've prayed about that, I've come to the conclusion, no, I don't believe that's the case at all. Look, I read a news article recently, really interesting, that said uh, Americans would spend $350 million this year on pet costumes for Halloween. Crazy, right? Look, if if that's you, if that's you, we love you, but just stop it, all right? Just stop. Your pet doesn't need to be wearing a costume, right? Have you ever seen a pet in a costume that looked happy to be in a costume? They always look miserable, don't they? It's like they know I shouldn't be dressed up. I am just a dog after all, right? It's amazing. But I read that and I just thought to myself, we can do this. If retailers can convince people to spend that kind of money on something so silly and unnecessary, I have to believe that God can inspire us and call us to give something to something of so much significance. And so I've just been praying, man, that everybody would do their part. And and if we all do our part, we've got it. Like maybe somebody in this room is going to bring $100 and and somebody's going to bring $100,000. And maybe some of our teenagers will give $200 over the next three years. The widow in our church, she'll bring her might. And if we all do our part, we've got it. Every single person in this room can participate. Isn't that good news? And here's what's incredible to think about in light of that. God doesn't even need our money. You get that, right? This book that I'm holding in my hand teaches that he owns everything. God could, if he wanted, he could supernaturally deposit every bit of money that we might need into our bank account before this gathering was ever over. So why doesn't he? Can I tell you why? It's because he wants to use you and me. You see, he's given you a little and me a little and and you a little bit more and he's given you more than you need. And he's asking us to give up just a little bit of our selfishness to invest back into what he's doing. Can I just tell you, God is not in the fundraising business. God is in the business of developing mature, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that he does that is by calling us to give up a portion of what he's given us so that he can use us together to do things that we could never pull off on our own. 
We can all play a part. Look, before we move on, I want you to flip back a couple chapters with me to Nehemiah 7. I want to give you another angle of wide leadership, if you will. Check this out. Let's read together. Verses 1 through 3. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they, uh, while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. Did you catch what Nehemiah did here? After the wall was finished, he actually de- delegated leadership and responsibility to other people. He did it so that the wall and the city might be maintained and protected. Look, the long-haul leader sets things up so that when he or she gets hit by a milk truck, things keep going. Are you with me? So the question here that we need to ask is this. uh, Who are we empowering? Who are we investing in? Who are we giving influence to as followers of Jesus? You see, leadership isn't just about influencing people. Leadership is about teaching and releasing those people that we've influenced to use their influence in the same way. Long-haul leaders understand that effective leadership does not depend on one. It depends on many. The last thing Nehemiah shows us is this, and we'll be done. He shows us that long-haul leadership is high. In other words... Long-haul leadership is leadership above reproach. After the wall was built, Nehemiah, he packed his bags and he headed back to the city of Susa to serve the king once again because he promised he would. And so he goes back home and he serves for a season and then God starts to burden him again to go back to Jerusalem to check on things. And so he asks the king for permission to go back a second time and, and the king says yes. Well, when he gets there, he finds out things aren't going so well. All that the people had committed to do during that half a day worship gathering, uh, they weren't doing anymore. They had committed to serve and to give to the poor. They weren't serving and giving to the poor. They had committed not to work on the Sabbath, uh, but they started worrying about money again and they started working on the Sabbath. They had committed to tithe and to give back to God. They weren't tithing. They had actually committed to, to going to the temple and worshiping each week and that wasn't happening. In fact, there was a guy named Tobiah He was a man who fought against the rebuilding of the wall. He actually moved into the temple courtyard. He was living there. And I love Nehemiah's response in chapter 13. Look at this, verses 8 and 9. And I was very angry. Don't you love that? Old angry prophet Nehemiah. I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. But when I read this, my mind goes to what Jesus did in the temple 445 years later. If you're new to church, here's the story. Jesus shows up to the temple one day and he finds money changers and religious leaders cheating the poor and taking advantage of people there to meet with God. And he's so angry, the Bible says he makes his own whip. You gotta be angry to make your own whip, but he makes a whip and he flips their tables over and he drives them all out of the temple. That's the same scene in Nehemiah 13. He's so mad. 
that nobody's showing up to the temple to worship, but instead it's been turned into some guy's apartment that he goes berserk. He starts wrecking the place. That's courageous leadership. That takes guts, right? But it gets even better. He then calls together all the nobles and all the wealthy Jewish people living in that area. And he says to them, "Uh, hey, I heard that while we were rebuilding the wall, the common people didn't have enough time to work in their fields because they were busy obeying God and helping with the project. And because they weren't going to have enough crops for next year, they borrowed money from you people and you've been charging them high interest. You've taken advantage of them and you even took their children as collateral. And because they've been able to repay you their debt, now you've turned their children into your slaves. Nehemiah looked at these people and he said, this stops today. Return their kids, cancel their debts, and quit practicing evil, you dirty sinners. I made that last part up, by the way. He didn't say that. He should have, though. It sounded good, didn't it? Strong. And do you know what the people said back to him? Yes, sir. How in the world did a slave gain that kind of leverage and influence over leaders of leaders, over wealthy Jewish people living in the city during that time? If you're taking notes, write it down. Two words, moral authority. You see, when Nehemiah became the Judah of governor, he could have taxed these people, gotten money from them. They would have actually expected him to do so. But guess what he didn't do? He didn't take money from them. Not one cent. He did not abuse his power for personal gain. And so when he stood before this group of people who were abusing their power for personal gain and he told them to do what was right, they listened. Why? Because he was a man who practiced what he preached. How about you? Are you practicing what you preach? Like, how about with your kids? Are you playing by the same rules you're asking them to play by? How about in your marriage? Are you serving your spouse in the same way you keep telling them they need to serve you? What about in your school or your workplace, this community you live in? Man, there are people all around you every day that you know don't know Jesus. Are they getting you the same Monday through Saturday as we're getting in here on Sundays? Are you practicing what you preach? Look, please hear my heart. I'm not asking that question to imply that you must be perfect. If so, I'd be a hypocrite because I'm far from perfect. Right? I need the grace of Jesus as much or more than many of you sitting in the room today. All I am asking, all I'm asking is this. Does your life match up with your mouth? Does what you say you believe transform the way you live your life day in and day out? If not, I pray and I beg you to get on your knees at some point today, maybe even in this room, and to ask God to do something in you that only he can do, to break your heart for what breaks his. Because I'm telling you, you'll never impact your world for Jesus if you're not truly following Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, as we get ready to close, speaking of Jesus... We see this same kind of leadership that we've been talking about today reflected in him. Look, when Jesus came here to this earth, he had a leadership that was deep. He showed up and he started performing miracles. Right? He, he healed the blind, caused the lame to walk again, healed the lepers, cast demons out of people. He even fed at one point a crowd of over 10,000 people with a little boy's lunchable. One of my favorite stories is a story in John 2 where Jesus shows up to the wedding, the heathen wedding, and he turns water into wine, his first miracle ever. 
And he does it to save face for the groom and his family. I grew up in the Baptist church. My Baptist friends still have no idea what to do with that story, by the way. It's awesome. (laughs) Wasn't grape juice. The Bible says he made the good stuff, right? I love all you Baptist folks out there. But because of this, many people in Israel looked at Jesus and they said, let's make him king. And Jesus said, no. I didn't come here to be the king of some temporary earthly kingdom. I came to this earth to to establish an eternal kingdom, a kingdom in which the dead would be raised to life again, in which suffering, sickness, pain, and death would be no more. Jesus did not settle for shallow leadership. But not only was his leadership deep, it was wide. It amazes me that after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, Before he ascended into heaven, he looked at a group of misfit disciples, former tax collectors, former fishermen, men who had abandoned him at his death. And he said to these guys, hey, what I've started, I'm leaving in your hands. The Holy Spirit, he's going to come and he's going to fill you. He's going to live inside your bodies. He's going to give you power and you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, he extends that same invitation to each and every single one of us today. How amazing is it to know that as sons and daughters of God, we have been invited into the family business. It's amazing, isn't it? And then lastly, Jesus' leadership was high. You see, he didn't just show up on the earth preaching God's love. No, in his great love for sinful people like you and me, he laid his life down as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. And in doing so, he legitimized everything that he preached while he was here. Jesus earned the right to speak into your life and mine. And the question we need to ask today is this. Are we listening? Are we completely submitted and surrendered to him? Can I tell you, that's the only way you'll ever be the leader God wants you to be. You want to impact your world? You want to lead? Leadership begins and leadership ends at the feet of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for stories like Nehemiah's that remind us that we're usable. In spite of our inabilities, our weakness, our status, socioeconomic level, our past, our family story, God, you can do amazing things with our lives. God, help us to say yes to you. Listen, with heads bowed and eyes closed, um, this is Commitment Sunday. It's a big day. And in a few moments, again, we're gonna get out of our seats and we're gonna commit to the future of Cross Point City Church together. But, but, I kind of believe that that there are some people in this room who need to make a different kind of commitment today. Maybe you walked in and, and all this church stuff is new for you and you don't know Jesus. You've been living the same old, tired, busted, meaningless life day after day. And you're tired of it. Or maybe you've been showing up to Cross Point for a while now now, and, and you've been hearing about Jesus, but you haven't yet decided to follow him and, and you know that that you have to give your life over to him. Listen, if you're a person in the room today that would say something's gotta change, I need to give my life to the God who created me, 
who gave his son for me. I need him to change me, to use me, to do things in me and for me that I I have not been able to do on my own. If you're somebody in the room today who'd be willing in this moment to say, James, I need to commit my life to Jesus, not just the church, but to Jesus, say, Savior and Lord, I need to follow him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, look, if that's you, I just want to ask you right where you're sitting, would you just throw your hand up? Just throw your hand up, James. I need to make that commitment. I need to give my life to Jesus. Just throw it up right here. Kids in the room, teenagers in the room. I see hands going up already, all over the room, front to the back. God, thank you for these people who right now in faith have said they need you. God, would you just reach out to them right where they are? If you raised your hand, listen, there's no magic prayer that saves anybody, but but right now in your seat, would you just say something like this to God? God, I need you. God, I just put my hand up to say that I need you. And God, I'm asking you to change me. I'm releasing control of my life to you today. I believe in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. God, make me a new person. Give me eternal life and do things with my life that only you can do. I just want to welcome you, if that's you, to the family of God. And you need to know that that from this point on, nothing, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. You can walk out of this room today with hope for your future. And you can know without a shadow of a doubt that when your life is over, you'll spend eternity with Jesus, your Savior. God, thank you for saving people today. Thank you for breathing new life back into dead hearts. I pray, God, that as we lay our commitments on this stage in a moment, that you'd continue to break chains, release people from bondage, restore marriages, heal the brokenhearted. God, breathe new life into those of us who aren't practicing what we preach. God, we give you not just our envelopes, not just our money, not just our commitments. We give you our lives. God, do something with the people in this room that would leave this community forever changed. God, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will we stand?